The reason why we were laughing so hard is all those people called are here every single week. They are like consistent, and today, the one day, they're not here. Mm. God's saying something right there, okay? He is saying something. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. What a great day. Can we clap it up? It's going to be a good day today. Man. We've got uh, some testimonies of folks' uh, baptisms. We have children and babies we're going to be dedicating today. And so we just want to really want to welcome family and friends who have come to support. Uh, man, it's so great to have you here. Thank you for being such an awesome family and friend. Uh, and so we're going to celebrate today. It has been, it's an exciting day. It's been a heck of a week, man, uh, for my family. I am just glad I'm alive after what I went through this week, all right? Uh, I had another crazy dog encounter. Uh, I was walking with my wife and our dog through our neighborhood, and it got crazy uh, with the German Shepherd. Uh, as you know, I've been sharing a little bit this year. My family got a dog this year. More, more accurately... <laughs> More accurately, my wife and my daughter manipulated me into getting their dog, okay, is really what happened. I'm not a dog lover. Don't hate me if you do. I love dogs. I've had so many encounters with angry dogs. I've developed a certain trauma-induced displeasure is the word I will use for dogs. I tried uh, once to run in our, our neighborhood. We live in East L.A. And uh, let's, you know, Forrest Gump running through the neighborhood And uh, it started out as a leisurely jog. It ended up a dead sprint with jumping and screaming and slamming my gate. The dogs in my neighborhood very quickly said, white men don't run around here. (laughs) How is it that human beings and dogs fall in love? I don't understand that, okay? My wife loves this dog. I love my wife with all of my heart. I love spending time with her. I'm now competing with the dog. The dog has become my nemesis. He is the Sancho in my life that is just tormenting me. Sometimes when I'm alone with the dog, I'll look at him and I'll be like, you think you can just walk into my house and take my wife? And you know, he just looks at me like, yeah, I do. How is it that human beings and dogs fall in love? We will answer that today and even more from the riches of God's word. And so if you are able, would you please stand to honor the reading of God's word? We are uh, in Philippians chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus, we thank you for this day. We're here because of you. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you would speak to us. These words that we just read are your words, given to us through your spirit. They are alive. God, I don't know what everybody is going through that is in front of me, but you do. So come and speak right now directly through your word. 
Come, we need you, Jesus. We pray this in your precious and holy name. And all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. We are told in this scripture that Jesus is the very nature of God. Our very first sentence, second sentence, sorry, though Jesus was in the form of God, did not count equality with God. You see the words it's using, the form of God, equality with God. But then later we read that God the Father has placed Jesus the Son as the one with the highest name. So Jesus, in the same section of Scripture, is God, but then also there is a person distinct from Jesus that is God our Father. How do we understand this? Well, here is one of the many references that we have in our Scripture that has helped us realize that God is a trinity. God is one being with three distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. It is the rock-solid doctrine for Catholic Christians, that God is completely one, but also three distinct persons. This is hard for us to completely understand, which reminds us that we are not God. We can understand parts of this reality, like how water, one substance, has three forms, liquid, ice, and vapor, but that doesn't even actually completely explain it. There is still some mystery for us, but that is good. For God to be God, there is Nothing impossible for God. And there should probably be limits on what we can understand about God. Amen? Amen. But what this three-in-one God does explain for us, that at the core of the DNA of the creator God, who has created and sustains our universe, is a desire for deep relationships. It tells us this trinity this three in one, that God is utterly relational. His very being is the perfect relationship. There is this completely pure, sacrificial, generous love that's going on all the time between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. God is not a loner. God has never been alone. Before there was anything he created, he was completely content in this perfect relationship, God, Father, Son, and Spirit. God is not a robot. God is not a complex mathematical code. God is not a philosophy. God is relational. One of the proofs is in how in the midst of so many different kinds of people and cultures in this larger world, which tells us that God is extremely diverse, as he has put his DNA in so many different kinds of people and cultures in this world. But one of the proofs that God is relational is that in the midst of all these different cultures and all the differences from generation to generation back thousands of years, the one thing that reunites us all as human beings is our relational soul. If you hang out with Mexican-Americans in Los Angeles in 2022, and then right away you can go back in time and hang out with people from the country of Ghana on the continent of Africa in 400 A.D. And then right away the next day you can go to Thailand in 1200 A.D. You are going to be around three completely different languages. You're going to eat completely different foods. You will be exposed to totally different values and worldviews. But you will see in all three that people are inherently relational beings. People cry and mourn when their loved ones die. doesn't matter which culture, what time period. 
People get furious if you try to hurt the ones that they love. Doesn't matter which culture or which time period. All people long for a connection to others. There is a reason why in any culture, in any time, isolation is the worst form of punishment for a human being. It is part of our DNA. We are created by a relational God, and he is very complex and vast. So we see all of his diversity, but in, in, in the unity, we are tied together through our deep need and love for relationships. We have a soul embedded with the DNA of a relational God. And this is why my wife loves a dog. We are relational beings. There is no psychological or biological science that can adequately explain why a human and a dog fall in love. That falls into the science of the soul, yet another expression of the DNA of a God who loves us. And there are so many implications of this for our lives. It means that money and entertainment, and good food, and the perfect job is not able to scratch the deepest itch in our souls. The deep itch can only be scratched as we improve our relationships, starting with God. We have a deep itch to be connected to God, and the longer we try to scratch that itch with other things, the longer we will be unsatisfied. And the God of the Bible is clear that going deeper with him is going deeper with the people who love him. He is found, his spirit, is, his diverse DNA is found in all of his children. Thus, some of the deepest joys can only be found when we are in deep relationship with people in a church community. Or another way to say it is that there is much more joy to be found in relationship with God through the church than there is even with a dog. Yet it seems so difficult to connect to God, doesn't it? That difficulty exists because we're broken. When you peer inside our soul, you'll see both a deep itch for God, but also a deep itch to be our own gods. We are a stubborn and rebellious people. We don't like being creatures. We want to be independent and in control. Can I get an amen for that? Mm-hmm. And in we, we turn our back on a good God all of the time. And in so doing, we throw everything out of whack and start hurting each other. We create pain and problems for others because if we're not in a good relationship with our creator God, well, then we cannot be in a good relationship with other people who have the DNA of that creator God in them. So what are we to do? We're a hot mess. What is God to do? So what do you do when someone keeps turning their back on you? They just keep turning their back on you. I don't want you. I don't like you. I don't need you. Over and over again, what do you do when somebody's done that to you? Do you hurt them? Do you ignore them? Do you walk away from them? Don't say anything. It's, 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 a, re yeah, it's a reflective question. Here is what Jesus did and does. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not e count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Somebody say amen. See, so Jesus is living the God life. It is a timeless life. There is never any stress when you're living the God life. There's never 
an ounce of feeling of pain ever. There is never an ounce of boredom or sadness or discontent or problems. He is living the God life. It is the most comfortable and lavish reality beyond even what our human brains can imagine. Making a a stay at a five-star resort in Hawaii look like one of those cheap hourly rate motels. While he is surrounded by angels that worship him, while we suffer in our pain and in our rebellion, refusing to worship him and make things right. And all of the pain, all of the problems, it all is because of us. Because we refuse to get with God and get things right, so we are now thinking we're God and we're just hurting each other left and right. He had every right to leave us to die. To say, I told you so. You don't want me. You want to do it on your own, so figure it out on your own. He had every right. And yet he did what none of us is able to do. He let go of the God life. The only way to save us in our pain was to come to us to live as a poor man, not to live as a celebrity or royalty, to live as a poor man. And it's interesting that he chose a time period where there was no technology, no human advancement of comfort at all. He chose to live a poor man in one of the roughest generations of human history. He chose to become a servant as a poor man. He chose to die a criminal's death, tortured, experiencing the very max of physical, emotional, mental, and relational pain. It was the only way. He wasn't obligated. He wasn't forced. The text says that he chose to empty himself of all the comforts and privileges of being God, to walk the life of pain that we walk, to meet us in our pain, and to restore us to himself, to offer us hope. It reminds me of one of my favorite fables that I think really gets the point home. And I've told it before, it's a fable of two very powerful twins that grew up in the same household. They were identical twins and you could not tell them apart. One twin grows up to be the highest level judge in this entire big city who had the most legal power in the city and he was respected as the most honest man of integrity and generosity. He was a pillar of goodness in the community. The other twin grew up to be the head of the organized crime in the city. He was the most feared, the most notorious, evil person in the city. And for years, they could not catch him. They could not pin him to all the murders and all the problems. And finally, they got him. They had all the evidence, and they bring this evil twin up to, the, to his twin brother who is sitting on the bench And the twin brother looks down at him and says, you are guilty. And the evil twin in his head is like, okay, that's my twin brother. He's going to help me out. He's going to hook me up. And then to his horror, his twin brother, the judge, says, you are guilty and you will be sentenced to death in two days' time. Take him away. And the evil twin is shocked as they take him away into the prison. And he's sitting there going, no way that my twin brother is going to actually kill me. And then all of a sudden, later that night, on the, uh, the eve before they were going to execute this evil twin, all of a sudden his cell doors open and there is his twin brother right there, all by himself. And the twin brother says, quick, take your clothes off, put my clothes on, I'll put your clothes on, I stay here, you go and go right to my house right away and tomorrow morning come in 
to my office and act like me. And the evil twin is like, I knew it. I knew my twin brother would not let me die. And he goes, walks out of that jail cell like the good twin judge, walks right back to this twin brother's house, walks into the house, sleeps the next morning. He's getting ready to go into work when he sees a letter on uh, the kitchen table. He opens it up, and his brother says, Brother, I've tried everything in my life to save you. I've tried to help you. I've tried to talk with you. I keep trying, but you have done nothing to change your ways. And so this is the very last thing I can do for you. Watch today. See how much I love you. Nobody will ever know that you were so evil. You can start over today if you choose. And the evil twin is utterly confused. And he goes into his office. He goes in and he sees everybody gathering at the execution chamber. He's like, wait a minute, what's going on? And he goes to the execution chamber, and to his horror, he watches his brother in his own clothes being walked up to the execution chamber of the whole city cheering that they finally got the evil person. And he's like, no, my brother's got something. And to his horror, he watches as they kill his twin brother. He looks back at the letter. This was the last thing I could do to save your life. See, what do we do when we hear a fable like that? If you were in that make-believe city and, that, and you realize that story, what would you do? Well, you would honor a person who would give their very life to try to save somebody who does not even deserve to be saved, quite honestly. We would tell that story over and over again to remind us what the goal is, what the standard is. Sacrifice yourself for others, right? Believe in people to the very end. We would teach our kids to have the spirit of that person. But that fictional judge, while to be honored, is still not worthy of being given the name above all names. Because greater honor is given to those who give a greater sacrifice. And greater honor is given to those who can give a greater reward. Greater honor is given to those who give greater. A person who makes 1000 a month and gives that all the way to help someone is to be utterly honored. But then a person who makes $20,000 a month and is able to take lots of trips with that money and buy lots of cars, who gives all that up to help others, is given greater honor. Then if someone like LeBron James gave up everything to move to a small region of Pakistan, to live with the poorest neighborhood in Pakistan, losing all of his money and all of his comforts and all of his fame to become an anonymous person, he would be given even greater honor. But then we look at Jesus. Jesus, who has the kind of wealth that makes LeBron look poor, who has never once tasted an ounce of pain or problems, and who could live in that reality forever, who has uh, never and is guaranteed to never taste the pain of death, for Jesus to give all of that up to save us, that is the name above all other names. Because Jesus starts at an exponentially higher place because his fall all the way down to our death was an exponentially greater fall. Because his fall can give us an exponentially greater reward. All the money in the world can feed a lot of people for a long time, but no money in the world can raise a person from the dead and give them life forever. Because Jesus falls from the highest place and gives up the most, and because he gives the greatest reward, his name is the name above all other names. Other people who live in his spirit, who sacrifice for other people, are to be honored, but there's only one name that is to be worshipped. 
is to be utterly declared, surrendered to, to be utterly worshipped with everything you have. It is Jesus, the name above all other names, because God is not a philosophy. God is not little sound bites on social media, little pithy proverbs. God is a relational being who has shown that he gives everything to save even the worst of his children. We give honor to those who follow in his footsteps, but we give an unashamed worship to Jesus Christ. We worship Jesus because he's the only source of sacrificial love, of life-changing generosity, of healing for every part of our life. We worship him because he walks with us in our pain instead of leaving us to ourselves. We worship him because he turns our pain into glory over time. We worship him because he always comes to save us. We worship him because embedded deep into the DNA of our soul is a longing to be connected to our wonderful creator, to be in unity and in step with God himself and only Jesus gives us that unity. Jesus is the name above all other names, which is why When any individual decides to worship the name of Jesus, to surrender their lives to him, we celebrate that with them. Because they have finally found that only that that true life. They have turned from self-worship or worship of other inferior things and now are worshiping the name above all other names. They now have a relationship with a lifelong Savior who will keep rescuing them when they fall, when they struggle, who will lead them into the riches of eternal life. And so today, we get to celebrate with a few of our friends. We are going to hear their short testimonies, uh, their version of worship as Jesus as Lord. Now, um, most of these folks who are testifying, they got baptized at our church retreat. We have a picture. Here is the crew that got baptized just a little while ago. Mm -hmm. Not all of them are going to give their testimony today. Uh, You'll hear more from, but we're going to have a few of them come on up. And so I'm going to start with Noah. Is Noah in the room? Uh, No, not yet. Is he not here? Okay, not yet. Maybe he's still getting ready. He's on his way. Awesome. Natalia, come on up, Natalia. I saw Natalia. Come on up, Natalia. Here we go. Let's encourage her. She's, I mean, she'd be nervous coming up here, right? Here we go. Um, okay. Life before God to me was, I just saw him as someone who was, like, the person in charge and, like, that I should, like, respect him and believe in him. But I didn't really think much of him. Like, I went to church, but I didn't really get into him that much. Um, he wasn't really, like, a need for me in my life because I didn't really know much about him. 
Um, when I actually started to follow God, Jesus was like around COVID because it was a really tough time for me and most people here. During that time, I would get like kind of lonely and like sad because like we couldn't do anything and I just had to stay home. There was one day that I was looking through my stuff and I found a little prayer book that my mom had given me. I started to read at least prayer one every day. I even made a calendar so that I wouldn't forget to read them. I think that really brought me closer to God and showed me who he really was. Jesus really changed my life by knowing he was always going to be there for me and he was never gonna judge me or leave me alone. Sometimes whenever I feel lonely or scared, I try to pray to him because I know he's always going to be there to protect and care for me. Man, love it. Baptism is the start of the life with Jesus. And right in the wake of that, another amazing young lady in our midst, I'm going to bring up Sammy to give her testimony. Hold it close. Hi, people. Mine's a little long, but it's okay. <laughs> Hello, my name is Sammy Rattay, and ever since I was born, I followed Jesus. My dad is Pastor Chris, as most of you know. So I fit into the category of pastor's daughter, but I'm going to be one of the good ones. Don't worry. I've, ne <laughs> I've never really thought about my relationship with God. I always thought it was what I was supposed to do. I didn't really understand what praying and worship was for. I just did what everybody else was doing and went on my way. I really started to understand more during a conference called USCon. It took place last summer. The nice thing about USCon is that all the kids there are pastor's daughters or sons, so I could openly share my thoughts. My small group leader explained that playing, praying and worshiping is all a way of talking to God. Praying doesn't have to be all bowed heads, folded hands, and closed eyes. It could just be like having a conversation. I started to pray at night before I went to sleep, and I just told God about my day, the good stuff, the stuff I needed help with, and the stuff I'm grateful for. Worshiping was similar. It's just like saying thanks, God, but in a song. It's as if you would sing a song about how great someone is, just that it's with God. If I ever had a really good week, I'll worship and sing to him how grateful I am for the good things that happen. The main breakthrough that I had was this past summer in the Dominican Republic trip. During that trip, I started to hear a lot from God. I mostly heard words and pictures during our outreaches, but mainly I got a very long vision one night. It was about one in the morning and I couldn't sleep, literally. I saw tons of random pictures until suddenly I saw a lot of, I guess, my fears. After a while, I just couldn't take it anymore. So I went to my mom and we prayed together and eventually it settled on one image that I later realized was a throat. It was pretty gross. <laughs> then a white light kind of started blurring it out and that was my relief moment when it all went white. Then I saw what I guess would be described as heaven. It was the kind of heaven you see in movies and TV shows with all the white clouds and the big golden gate. I saw Jesus standing there ready to welcome me with open arms. I jumped into him and I finally fell asleep. So that was pretty cool. 
that really show me if I'm ever scared of anything, and I'm scared of a lot of things. I've always been a very fearful kid growing up, that Jesus will always conquer it. I now understand that Jesus has died for me. He's conquered my sin, my mistakes, and my fears. He's not disappointed in me, and he forgives me. He's always with me, and in a way, he's a friend, a really great friend you can tell anything to. And now I want to take the next step in our friendship and have an even stronger relationship as I go through life. Noah's in the building. Come on up, Noah. Hold it close. Um, first off, I want to thank my mom and dad for keeping me involved in church since I was a kid. I also want to thank my grandpa for introducing me to church and taking me when I was little. Um, when I was introduced to church at a young age, I wasn't necessarily taking it serious. But as I got older, I started taking it more seriously. And then as soon as I did, I felt the comfort that God brings in people's life. Having Jesus in my life has helped me help sort of manage with my anger and sadness it's still a battle, but it's easier with Jesus now. I think I know what had led me to my baptism was um, just a reassurance I was getting from everyone on the hike up there with my dad. And um, the hike was extremely difficult with one leg too. And all the encouragement from all of my youth leaders, Miguel, Sergio, Dave, etc. Moments before the actual baptism, I was having my last minute thoughts. I was nervous. I didn't really know what would happen after. But after I did it, I felt this, like, this feeling of comfort and love. And, um, and after I was really happy that I did it, I'm still far from where I want to be in my relationship with Jesus. But that really felt like a huge step in my walk with him. And I'm glad I did it. It was such an experience. I felt those feelings when I was actually in the water. And then when I was lifted out, I didn't necessarily forget everything that has happened in, in all my life. But I've like come to peace with it, in a sense. Um, and I'm really far from this person I eventually want to be with God, but my baptism, like I said, was a huge step in this walk. I'm on with him, and I know that every step with Jesus is going to be worth it in the end. And now to bring it home for us, I want to bring up Liz. is Elizabeth. My life before I got baptized was a life where I believed in God, but I didn't want to see him. I had gone through so much trauma and hurt that I didn't understand why God would allow me to go through what I have. I'll give a quick background on what I have gone through. I was eight months pregnant when I lost my mother. I was in a relationship where I was mentally, emotionally, and physically abused. I had so much anger and hurt towards God that I didn't want to see him. Still my life went on, our lives went on, but something always went wrong. 
I've been at New Life for about six to seven years, and in those years, I graduated from D school, went through a separation twice because I messed up and I was unfaithful. I hurt my kids in a way that I didn't think I could ever for they could ever forgive me. This last time I separated, I really messed up and didn't think I could ever have my family as one again, let alone get married. I was going through all this and still trying to finish my nursing school, which was very difficult for me. When my exit test came, they give you three times to pass and I failed all three. To pass, you need a 900 and the last test I took, I got an 890. That meant I didn't pass by one question. I was so devastated and I thought maybe this is not uh, what God wanted for me. I cried and I was angry at God of all people because he didn't help me. I felt let down yet again. The only good thing happening in my life that I thought at the moment was my relationship with Sergio was mended and we were gonna get married, something I thought would never happen. There is so much more that has happened in my life, but there's so much to tell at this time. But I'm telling you the big parts that give you guys a little background on what my life was like. This year came around and I already had some bad luck. I lost my job I had for seven years. I was planning a wedding with no job and only one income. The only thing I was looking forward to this year was the wedding and the retreat. Finally, the retreat came around and I was so happy to go. I was one of the ones who got baptized and I didn't think I was ready, but I thought I'm getting married in a couple of months and I wanted to give my life to God first before I married Sergio. I knew in my mind that Jesus forgave my mistakes, that he died on the cross to make my punishment, that he endured all kinds of pain to be able to relate to my pain. I knew in my mind, but didn't feel it. It was hard to feel forgiven and seen by God, and I wanted to be right with God before I was right with Sergio and have a good marriage. But getting baptized didn't come easy that day. As a few of you guys know, um, because you were there, we kind of got lost, and it took us about... It took us about an hour or so to get to the lake where we were getting baptized. It should have only taken us max maybe like 15 minutes or so. And I thought, this is the devil trying to stop us from, from happening. But of course, we did, he didn't win that day because we finally made it to the lake and it made it all worth it. It was one of the best decisions I could have made in my life. I felt good. I felt forgiven, cleansed, and loved by Jesus. He understands me. He walked with me through my pain, and I can start anew with him. I thought, why did I wait so long for this? My life after being baptized has gotten a little better. I went on to take the state nursing board's test to get my nursing license. I sat the night before and the day of, and I prayed to God. I said, God, if this is your will, then I will pass. If I don't pass, I will be okay with that as well. I said, God, you know my heart, you know me, and if this is what you want for me, it will be. I had said to myself, if I don't pass the boards the first time, I will no longer be taking the test, even though I could take this test as many times as I, as I want. I was just going to accept that this is not what God wants for me, and I was okay with that. I was at peace that morning. I went in and, and took my test. I was a little nervous, but not too much like I thought I would be. 24 hours after the test, I paid for early results so I could see if I passed, and I did. I passed my nursing test. I passed my nursing test. I finally got my license to be a nurse on the first try. I also got a great job that pays very well and good benefits. Then finally, on July 16th, I stood up here and I got to marry my childhood crush, the father of my kids, and the love of my life. This is a... <laughs> 
This is a few things how God has changed my life so far. Even though the devil's still around to do evil, I have more peace in my life now than I, than I have ever had because I see God now. I'd like to invite the worship team back up. And as they come up, I want to ask each of us, what is God speaking to you through the teaching of the Bible, through the testimonies that you hear today? Do you hear all the different ways that Jesus has proven that he is the name above all names? You've heard some honest testimonies. Giving our lives to Jesus does not mean we do not suffer. It means that the God of the universe suffers with us and he turns something beautiful out of our suffering. Did you hear that? Those of you who are suffering, surrender that suffering to Jesus. Declare to him today that I will worship you, Jesus. I know I won't be perfect, but I will start something new with you. I will make you the name above all names. Some of you probably heard in the testimonies that, that promise of hope in fears, that promise of hope in a young adult's life as they're looking forward and going, I found something that's going to guide me that I can rely on. That is the name above all names. As we sing this song, this is our sacred space for each of us to respond to Jesus in the way that we need to respond. Surrender to him. Declare to him that you believe that you are the creator of my soul, that we have shared DNA. Tell him that you will commit as best you can to building a relationship with him. So think about Jesus. He is so purely good, he will not force himself on anyone. That's what the devil does. But he just is always there trying to show us in so many ways, like through the testimony of people today, come on. When you're ready, then I will flood your life. I respect you, but I love you. I've given up everything so that I can walk with you and give you all the strength that you need all the way into eternal life. There is no other name. I remember hearing a very powerful testimony from a, a man who is part of the Native American indigenous people in America. And he said he, he hated Jesus for so long because of what the white people who brought Jesus did to his people. His mother was like a spiritualist in their tribe. She was the one that they'd always go to for healings and praying for the spirits. And one day the mom comes to him and says, son, the white people hurt us, but Jesus did not. Give your life to Jesus. I've tried everything. There is only one name that I can call upon that will get rid of the demons. Only one. It is Jesus. The name above all other names. There is only one. Surrender yourself to that one. Surrender just to get to know him more, to worship him more than anything else, and let him prove to you over and over again that he's worthy of that worship. I want to invite us to stand. If you're able, just to stand. As I worship him, sing this song. Pray to Jesus. Be honest with him, and then I'm going to give us a chance at the end of this song for those who need it to pray a prayer of commitment to Jesus. 
This is just for those who know they need this today. I need to, to say this prayer of commitment. We will do that after this worship tongue. So ask the Lord if you need to pray that prayer of commitment to him and surrender to him at the end of this song. Come, Lord Jesus, speak.